Chapter One of Rialaro, The Archipelago of Exiles by Godfrey Swevin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Resurrections. God, God, how thy past clings to us like shadows, turn as we may forever to the sunrise. Out of the night and from beyond it come forms that seem buried below the reach of grave desecrating memory. They plead with us and claim us as their kin, and all the nobleness we have labored after succumbs to the witchery of their piteous appeals. It was indeed pathetic to see his face as he struggled with the past that had been dead for a generation. He thrust it from him, and it would return. He reached out for dim features of it he had loved, and they eluded him. At last came out of the wreckage of dreams the solidarity of life and law. How tyrannous the bond of nature is! What love my mother bore me! and how the memory of it wells over the desert of my youth. Had she lived, I never could have broken with my European life. It is maternal love that binds age to age. A torrent of inborn feeling wakes in me for the old graveyard where she lies overlooking the sea. I know she is not there, and yet I could kiss the dear earth that covers her ashes. From her I drew all that was best in me. To her, only a fisherman's daughter— I looked for every thought that controlled me in boyhood. My father, the earl's son, disowned for his lowly love and marriage, was only a phantom to me, honored but unreal, for he died soon after I was born. Nor could I ever own the churlish stock that thrust him forth for loyalty to a peasant. Often did the crabbed old grandsire try to woo me from the sea-smelling hut to his great castle as often was his pride wounded by refusal. What had I to do with a race still savage in its adherence to caste, and incapable of seeing the beauty of a character apart from position? All of my being belonged to the gentler, more civilized nature of my mother. I was obstinately democratic in my sympathies, hating even the shadow of primeval aristocracy that rests upon childhood and youth. One thing he did succeed in doing. He drove my mother, by dint of threats, expostulations, and reasonings, to send me for a few years to one of the large English public schools. And this period was the purgatory of my life. Such despotisms and persecutions demonized over the unconforming nucleus of my character. And, when summer came, her love, the uncouth sympathy of the fishermen, the rhythmic sea, and the steadfast foreheads of the cliffs cooled the fever of my wronged spirit. Only the persistence of the old fire-eater with his instinctive valuation of the still savage virtues of his caste could keep her from yielding to my never-ending entreaties. Not till palsy shut the gates of his expression did she take courage to resist his influence, and let me remain with her in solitude as my teacher's. A few years more and his iron spirit left its long-dead tenement. His title and mansion and great estates were thrust upon me. But I refused to acknowledge the position, except so far as to divide the revenue amongst the poor. What did I or my mother need more than we had? Why should we leave our lowly friends and our comradeship with the sea? 
what good purpose could it serve to spend these vast sums every year on personal enjoyment that would be none to us we stayed in our little dwelling perched in a nook of the cliffs and i followed my ancestral calling over the ever-moving element that had nursed me courage and loneliness and love of mankind sank deeper and deeper into my system books and thought and the ever-changing waves tutored my spirit and widened the issues of life i began to feel strangely dissatisfied with all that was called civilization seeing how far it fell short of justice and truth and liberty i was harassed with my own destiny and even more with that of mankind how could i better my thoughts by heaping the responsibilities of lucre upon them the everlasting antagonism between our lodging for rest and our need of labor goaded me as it did all others and how was change of sphere or multiplication of financial cares to effect a truce no it seemed to me in my youthful romancing that the possibility of cure lay not in increasing the desires and their means of satisfaction but in reducing the needs the denominator in this poor fraction of the universe called human life was more plastic than the numerator what was the acquisition of wealth and influence but the insertion of ciphers in our little decimal of existence what could the world do for the inborn sickness of the human spirit if the rest was to be found it was in primitive conditions of life perhaps in some obscure tribe that lived close to nature and had never heard an echo of our western world with the restless nomadic instincts of boyhood and youth passionate within me i longed to set forth on a voyage of discovery into seas untraversed the sea ferment stirred my scandinavian blood to rove untrammeled to meet sudden storms and dangers to hold intercourse with pure human souls fresh from god's hand and unstained with the duplicities of luxurious grasping races this was the dream of my early years but my mother would not stir from the loved shore of her girlhood or the grave of the husband who had died too young to shatter her romance and she was a comrade from whom i could not part year after year had bound us closer together and before manhood had unloosened the reins of my will her forty years and locality a stronger influence in her sex had riveted down their fetters upon her spirit but ah god there came a time the surge of memory was too great for him he would not let the tears come and he fled out into the woods we saw no more of him for days nor could he approach the subject but with wild resurgence of sorrow that choked up speech but by hint and inference we were able to mosaic together the history of his tempest that swept through his life his mother had died not long after he had attained his majority and his grief palsied his energies for almost a year but driven to the net and the sea again by sheer fatigue of brooding youth reflooded his veins with the old passions and ideals and the flame in his blood mastered grief then came the thought that the wealth he had repelled so long might enable him to fulfil the dream of his boyhood and to reach some land untainted by the vices of europe and the discovery that part of his heritage was a yacht driven by the marvellous new power of steam that laughed at the wind and wave and current 
made him as one possessed. Everything bent to his new idea. He gathered his old comrades and playmates together, and he went with them to master the whole craft of the steam engine and the screw. They learned every item of the marine engineer's trade, and each he set to gain skill in some special part. He traveled himself from university to university, from laboratory to laboratory, in order to master the best that was known in the physical sciences. He fitted out his yacht with the apparatus and material that would be needed for repairing any part of her, furnished her with everything that would enable him to pass years away from civilization and to gain influence over the wild races he might encounter. Nor did he fail to collect for her a library of the finest books, not only imaginative and scientific, but pertaining to the arts. And, when all was ready and his machinery and crew had been tested in brief voyages north and west across the winter and summer Atlantic, he bade farewell to his hut upon the shore and the loved graveyard on the hill, and set out to seek adventure and a land of primitive simplicity in untraveled seas. How our blood surged with delight as we swept away to the south under full sail and head of steam. The ridged currents of the main, the wind-curled summit of the great billows only made our hearts to tingle. We were out free with God's elements, our friends, no rumor of cruelty or injustice or bitter grief to harness our spirits. Young, bold, well-mated, bound by the ties of common tastes and common traditions, nothing seemed to us too difficult to attempt. Round the old cape of storms, down into the latitude of icebergs, we easted until we hailed the coasts of Australia. In her towns and cities we learned from traders and sailors all we could of the islands that lay in the Pacific. Much of the romance, much of the dim rumor based on fact, vitiated their tales and yet drew us on with magnetic power. Past New Zealand with her somber fjords and the argent glory of her mountains we swept, gleaning from her sealers and whalers still more of the mysteries of the dim pacific world we were about to see our blood coursed quicker in our veins as we touched the first palm-fringed atolls of the coral belt and every new island we reached seemed to get closer and closer to the centre of the primitive world we desired to visit for through the narratives that we heard of the wonders of the great Pacific archipelago there ran an undercurrent of reference to some mystic region that had deeply impressed the imaginations of all frequenters of this tropical sea, whether natives or foreigners. The islanders would scarcely speak of it, and a curtain of superstition hung round it unlifted. Even Europeans spoke of it with bated breath. But the more they evaded my questions— the more was I roused to get at some definite knowledge. From island to island we sailed in quest of the direction of this strange mirage of the sea. At times I concluded that it was but a religious myth, a Hades invented by the priests or by the crude imaginations of early worshippers to account for the misery of man and to define the destiny of his wilder nature. Then would come some hint that pointed to physical fact as its basis. After weary, half-baffled investigations, I seemed to find a certain nucleus of reality. There lay away to the southeast of Oceania, out of the track of ships, 
an enormous region of the pacific sealed by a ring of fog that had never lifted in the memory of man ships had sailed into it and never come out again canoes that had ventured too near had been sucked in by the eddies that circled round it and never been seen again above it there flashed strange lights that dimmed the stars and the play of the gleaming wings seemed at times to rise far above it and vanish to some islanders it was the refuge of souls of their dead to others it was the home of the demons who issued half seen half unseen to torture them with plague and storm and disaster when i had discovered the direction in which it lay and defined its position on my chart i ran back to the coast of new zealand for coal and other supplies that would last me months if not years already i summoned my staunch comrades who formed the crew and told them the bent of my enterprise laying stress upon its dangers and uncertainty not one flinched perhaps because their lives lay all in the future none had left wife or sweetheart behind none was old enough to have fixed ambition or a desire of settled existence the sea had bred in them through their long ancestry a love of its mystery and its many-voiced dreams none but imaginative natures had attached themselves to me in youth and on board during their long periods of rest it was romance and poetry and other books of imagination they read not one of them had escaped the lotus-breathing air of these dreamy archipelagos not one of them but loathed the thought of western life with its mean ambitions and falsities anything was better than the labyrinth of disease and wrong and crime wherein they must lose their way in old europe even without such considerations there was enough loyalty to their old comrade and leader to make them follow him wherever he would go a cheer ended our conference and we weighed anchor to a chant with the refrain heave ho let's seek the secret of rialaro chapter one